Tonight, we are finishing up the series that we've been in for the past couple of weeks called A Deeply Formed Life. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about different spiritual disciplines or practices that when you incorporate them into your life, uh, it brings you closer to the heart of Jesus, but also allows your life to reflect more of who Jesus is. We've talked about Sabbath rest, devoting to God's word, prayer, community, generosity. And tonight, to end out our series, we are gonna talk about um, a spiritual discipline of sorts that kind of constitutes living a missional life to make the name of Jesus famous. Now, I kind of want to do a spin off of that, though, and, and maybe take a different take than what you're used to or what you've heard before. Usually when we hear about living missionally minded, um, it can quickly bring up thoughts of talking about the Great Commission or sharing your faith, going on your church's overseas mission trip, which, hear me say, those are absolutely wonderful things and things that we're called to do. And those are acts and steps of obedience. When you have been given a hope that you've done nothing to gain and your life has been completely changed by Jesus, the only rational thing for you to do is go and share that with other people. But tonight, I wanna talk a little bit kind of more micro level of what it looks like to live out a life that makes the name of Jesus famous through radical, ordinary, intentional hospitality everyday hospitality and what that looks like to make Jesus known. Two Christmases ago, our house got to have the magical experience of Santa Claus once again. And I'm the oldest of four siblings. And so that was my life for a long time, but now my younger siblings are all in high school. And so I haven't had for years a toddler come and poke me on the face at four in the morning, telling me it's time to go see what Santa left us downstairs. But two Christmases ago, I did get that experience. You kind of miss it and then kind of don't. Um, my dad's house was full. We had our family um, and, oh, oh, it's not up there yet. Uh, we had our family, so I'll show you this picture up here of our family. Um, so you can see me and then my brother and my dad on the side, um, my stepmom and step-siblings, and then the four boys off to the side, one just my stepbrother's best friend who's like family. But then these three other guys right here um, were actually boys that came to live with us for a couple of months. Uh, their grandma was in my dad's Sunday school class and when she passed away suddenly, they didn't have anywhere to go. And so came and lived with my family for a couple of months. And you can see Aiden, the six-year-old, stone cold in the front. I mean, couldn't get him to smile for anything. But this is the young man that believed in Santa Claus and made our lives a lot more joyful and, and chaotic at our house around that season. Um, so I think back to that and there were these three new and diverse and different and challenging and unique human beings living in our house that uh, made the dynamic of our home a little bit different. Um, but it was a joyous time. Holidays uh, are joyful and also better and everything in between. And especially for these three boys, their holiday looked really different than it had before. And so we got to kind of band together and just spend time loving on each other and then also do the really fun things at Christmas Springs. When I came home to visit where I'm living in Dallas, we went and saw Lights with Hot Chocolate. We went and saw Santa Claus at the mall, uh, shopped around for Christmas, and it was more noise and chaos than I can ever remember in our house. But also some of the biggest blessings during that time. They stayed with us for a while until uh, they were actually relocated to live with a close uncle in a different town. Um, but I remember that, it was, a very, uh, it was a very dynamic and impactful season at our house, but I wouldn't say unique. I remember just growing up, my dad was definitely a displayer of hospitality in every single way. Our home just had this open door policy. And so when they decided to come and stay with us or, or more or less my dad invited them to come stay, it just wasn't the most abnormal thing. Like it was like, okay, yeah, we have the room, we have the space, come one, come all. Um, and I just saw my dad model that over the course of my life growing up. 
And he worked, his background was construction, so kind of being exposed to just a mixed bag of people was definitely what I was so used to. Um, we just got to meet a lot of people, he traveled a lot, and so it was just common around our house. Even the Sunday school class that I referenced earlier that this boy's grandmother was a part of that my dad led, just had a come one, come all attitude. I mean, I would come and I'd visit on the weekends from college and it was not uncommon to see or sit next to someone that was either a former or current drug addict uh, that had just gotten out of prison last week or was quite literally the homeless man that someone just picked up as they were driving into church that morning. And that was just what this, it was truly like the most misfit bag of people all wrapped up in this one class, but they quickly became family in a lot of senses. And that's just what I knew. But I will say, as I grew up and kind of got out on my own, I noticed two different things. One, even though I was exposed to that in my childhood and my dad displayed that beautifully, when I got my own house, I got my own things, got my own stuff, became comfortable in that, I realized how difficult it actually is to extend that kind of hospitality, that openness to people in my life. And then two, I realized that that hospitality was actually pretty rare, even for those of us that are in the church. Because the church is made up a lot of broken people, a lot of sinful people, and in our sin and our brokenness, oftentimes we like to preserve what's comfortable. We like to preserve what's known. And anyone that maybe has, uh, the, anyone that threatens to invade that, come in that, take away our comforts, we kind of just want to stiff arm and keep at a distance. And that keeps us sometimes, I think, from just showing hospitality to those that are around us, especially those that we're uncomfortable with or that we don't know. I looked up a couple of statistics as I was preparing for this, just kind of to think about how connected are we as a culture, uh, as young adults, as a people, and kind of started in the, the core of where we live. So the, the communities and the neighborhoods that we live in, how connected are we actually? And not just through social media connected, but actually physically, I know this person's name, they know mine, we are connected in that way. And I found a study done by Pew Research Center in 2018. So mind you, this was prior to COVID, which COVID kind of turned a lot of hospitality on its head. But prior to COVID in 2018, uh, they found that only 2% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 knew all of their immediate neighbors. Ooh. Now, I'm not gonna put you on the spot and have you raise your hand if you know all your immediate neighbors, but I can imagine, and I hope I'd be wrong, but I can imagine that there might be few hands in this room that go up. Ironically, around the same time, Harvard posted research that showed 61% of young adults in a similar age range have admitted to feeling incredibly lonely and isolated, which we know can lead to increased feelings of anxiety and depression. So my point is this, not only do we not know the people around us, nor do people around us know us, but ultimately that's leading us to a place of isolation, of loneliness, of depression, of anxiety. Is this the abundant life that God says that he wants to give his children? I mean, you have to just ask, is this the way that Jesus modeled life as he was walking amongst us? Are we called to a life of isolation where the only interaction that we have with our neighbors is kind of the courteous head nod as they're pulling out of their garage in the morning on the way to work and that's just about it? Are we supposed to really live a life that keeps to ourselves, keeps the doors of our home closed, keeps the doors of our home closed so we can be safe and not let anyone into our private space? I believe as we look at God's word, and especially as we look at the life of Jesus, the answer to all of those questions is a resounding no. That is not what God has for us. It's not the fullness of life that God has come to offer us. And so tonight, I wanna look at the scripture to find three different ways that cultivating a heart of hospitality will both allow us to walk in the fullness of being known by other people, 
but then also will allow us to serve others just like Jesus served so that we can show tangible love of Christ to a world that's very lonely. So if you'll open your Bibles with me tonight, we're gonna look at the Gospel of Matthew um, and we're gonna be in chapter 25. So read along with me either on the screen or um, just if you have your Bibles, but starting in verse 31, Jesus is saying, or Jesus is talking and he says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he, will set on, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The first thing I wanna look at from this passage is that a heart of hospitality loves people. From the text, we see that people are kind of split into two different, the sheep and the goats, if you will. Um, and literally the identifying factor, the thing that caused a person to be called righteous and blessed in the Father's eyes is those that cared for and loved the people that they were around. A heart of hospitality loves all people, regardless of who they are. Even the word hospitality broken down in the original language of Greek means literally lover of strangers. And I love that. I had no idea about that until I was starting to prepare for this lesson. But hospitality literally, quite, quite literally means lover of strangers, people that you don't know, people that might be different than you. You move towards them in love and God calls us to love all people. And the one thing that causes someone to be absolutely worthy of love, regardless of status or background, ethnicity, regardless of anything that is different than you or the same as you, is that this person, every person, man and woman, is made in the likeness and the image of a holy God that loves and cares for them. And that alone, period, makes someone worth love. We see that in the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, that God has created people and loves them so much. And therefore, if we are God's children, we are now called and freed up to have the opportunity to love people like he does. Rosaria Butterfield, who we'll talk about her a lot more in a little bit, but she writes a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And there's a quote in this book that says, we see people whom God has put in our lives, especially the difficult ones, as image bearers of a holy God and therefore deserving of our best. And when we love God's people, when we're able to see them the way that God sees them, we're loving and we're serving God himself. It even says that in verse 40 that we just read. When I say to you, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And that should put so much weight on how we love people. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's convenient. I think sometimes we can look at people and, and really that's the, the next thing is how do we view people and why don't we love them? What makes this so difficult? And ultimately it is just how we view people kind of influences if we're gonna move towards them or we're gonna move away from them. And I don't know if we'd say this consciously and out loud, but oftentimes we can see people 
that maybe don't run in our circles or aren't the same as us, as people that are burdens, as people that rub us wrong, our annoyances, maybe they've hurt you directly. You know, maybe it's nothing about them seems to be deserving of love, that they've done everything wrong in your eyes and they do not deserve love from anyone. And yet what I love about our God is that regardless of, again, all of these outside factors of what a person's been through or what they offer, what they can provide, the call is the exact same. That we love people and that cultivates within us this heart of hospitality rather than keeping them away, keeping them at bay, not extending the grace and love that God shows us and fostering a heart of hostility and anger and frustration towards people. We love people when we are reminded who created them, made them in his image, and gives us the power to extend grace and love. Another thing to consider as we're looking at just how to love people and what that looks like is that we don't love people with any sort of ulterior motive to change them or to make them different than they are. And what I mean by that is we don't love people to somehow make them into either a version of ourselves or a better version of themselves that we think would really suit them well. We only love because we have been loved. First John 4:19 says that we love because God has loved us. And all I can do is choose to love people to show up as an overflow of the truth that we've been loved first. And we were loved as we were not for who we would become. Jesus models that in his entire life. He never pushed someone to be at a place that they weren't ready for. The offer was always on the table. The offer was always coming to follow me. But Jesus consistently showed up to encourage, to walk with, to support, to love people when they were at their messiest. Andy has a quote actually in his office. I really like it. And it's on his whiteboard. It says, love people, not evangelism. And it's good to know that evangelism, does that mean we don't like it? Does that mean we don't do it? Does that mean we never talk to someone about the gospel message? Absolutely not. It means we still are called to open our mouths in boldness and share the goodness of the message of the gospel that we've, we've received and now have been changed by. Evangelism is still so important. But when we place that as priority over loving a person and moving towards a person, then we start to see them as a project rather than an actual heart that's worthy of love and worthy of care, where they are at, not of where they will go to or of who they will become. Step into the long game with them. Step into the journey with them and be willing to sit in the messy for as long as necessary to encourage and remind people made in God's image of that truth. The second thing I wanna look at tonight is that a heart of hospitality holds the things of this world loosely. In the verses that we read, we see that those considered righteous fed the hungry, met the need when someone was thirsty, welcomed in the stranger, cared for those that were sick, that they so much so saw the things that they had and were willing and ready to open-handedly give that to the Lord when opportunity presented itself. In a physical way, in an emotional way, they just chose that we're not gonna value things over people because people are much more important. And so when you're, when you're asking me, God, I'm ready. When you're putting me in a situation where I can give and I can serve, help me, God, hold the things of this world loosely so that I can see that people are priority and them knowing you is better by far. In our lives today, what are some things that we think are just roadblocks and keep us then from living with that open-handed mindset of, God, all that I have is yours and I want 
you to be able to steward it in my life for your glory. Especially in just when we're thinking about this physical act of hospitality and often what comes to our minds whenever we think about that word even, um, or at least for me it does, is you're welcoming people into your home, into your, your place where it's, it's your space, but you're welcoming someone in in a very vulnerable and intimate way to come into your home. And I think sometimes what can keep us from holding our worldly things loosely and instead holding them tightly is that we're waiting for these right opportunities, these right moments to perfectly present themselves and line up exactly right before we can actually step into a spirit of gratitude and hospitality. I think sometimes we can be waiting for the house to be perfect, uh, to have all the right things, to be financially more, a little bit more stable. I think that would help out. Maybe we're waiting for the ring on our finger uh, or to live in the right neighborhood. I don't know what it is. And I think there's a million things that the enemy can use to make you and remind you that you're just not really there. Don't wait a little bit longer. People will still be around. You'll have more opportunity when you're at this place in your life. And so we continue to hold these things so tightly and we're forgetting that just the simple invite to invite people in to your space could be that invite that changes their life where they are exposed for the first time ever to the intimacies of the gospel that oftentimes is spoken and is lived out at a dining room table. You're robbing someone of that because you're thinking to yourself, that's not the time, that you don't have all the things ready like you should. Maybe this truth for us means that we stop caring or we start caring less about having the perfectly put together home having the right circumstances to invite people into and more about the people that are gonna come in and make our homes a little messier, make our homes a little dirtier. Maybe that means we push ourselves to stop being paralyzed by the potential awkwardness of having to actually meet someone new and not knowing how they're gonna respond. And we trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit because he'll never lead us astray and he'll never leave us alone in those moments. A little weird never hurt anyone, a little awkward never hurt anyone. It's good. And no, I wanna acknowledge here that not everyone has maybe this gifting, when we're talking about spiritual giftings of hospitality. You know, you can just kind of chalk it up, say like, well, it's not really me. Like, it's not really my gifting, it's not really my thing. Uh, I don't really love it, I don't find enjoyment in it. Um, and so no, that might not be your gifting in this room, but I will say that God has called every single person, man and woman alike, to live out a life that is hospitable and welcoming especially to the least of these. There's no getting around what Matthew 25 talks about, that this is obviously something that God highly values and calls us to extend to others as his, as his children, as his sons and daughters. We've got to be ready and available at any given moment to say, yes, God, I wanna use you because the things of this world I'm holding so loosely. The comforts of this world that oftentimes we can hold on to so tightly that we use to excuse our disobedience can quickly be placed in a position of an idol in our lives. And again, it's gonna be different for every person. So only you're gonna know what are the things in your heart that deep down you're really kind of unwilling to let go to actually go and maybe meet someone in their need or to welcome someone in, even when it might be uncomfortable. But have you placed those in positions where they have taken precedence over all else, even over obedience to God and to loving his people? Questions to consider as we kind of think and ponder in our own heart, what are those things that maybe could keep us from just being hospitable to those around us? The first is this, do I love people more than what I hope that they love about me? 
And that's a, that's a hard question <laughs> for me as I sit there and, and wrestle with that question personally, because I am a person that I'm like, I want someone to come in my room and think it's super fun. I want someone to come in my house and feel super welcomed by all of the plants I'm trying to keep alive. Like I'm just, I'm wanting to create this perfect experience and environment for someone, but do I love them more? And do I care about them more than what they're gonna think I have to offer them? than what they're gonna think about me. Because if I'm consistently placing priority on what someone thinks about me and what they think I have to offer, then I'm gonna miss the person right in front of me and I'm gonna miss the opportunity to actually just love them and to be there with them and can get so easily distracted. The second question is this, do I love people enough to bring Jesus and Jesus alone? If he alone receives the glory, is that enough for me? If you walk away from an interaction or a conversation or a time with another person or persons and they love Jesus more because of the time that they spent with you, is that enough for you? If that's the only thing, is that enough for you? Is Jesus enough for getting all of the glory every single time? Paul in Philippians 8, or Paul in Philippians 3, 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. When we are reminded daily that God's coming home, he is coming back for us, and people are either gonna be on one side where it's, I didn't know you, or another where it's, yes, come in, be welcomed into paradise with me for forever. It kind of lights a fire underneath us a little bit to one, submit everything to the Lord, but then two, invite people into that so that they can experience that kind of love that's gonna completely change their hearts, do a 180 in their lives. A heart of hospitality holds the things of this world loosely so that we can hold the things that God values really tightly and prioritize them. The third thing that I wanna point out is a heart of hospitality creates welcoming, authentic community. Rosaria Butterfield, who I mentioned earlier, wrote the book, the gospel comes with a house key. And if you've never read it, I would highly recommend it. I think we even have a QR code at the back table. So go check that out. But it's an incredible book. Um, she was not always though a Christian author. Actually a little bit of backstory about her. Um, she was a former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University who came to know Christ in 1999. Before giving her life to Jesus, she was living in a committed relationship with another woman and deemed Christians as small-minded, uncharitable and immoral. She would have described the Bible as a book that condoned racism, sexism, and homophobia. But through a divine and really ordinary encounter with a pastor and his wife inviting her into their home, ultimately so she could do research on this popular book called the Bible, she had a few questions, being a professor of English, uh, her life was changed forever. She began to share meals with them for weeks, which eventually turned into months. And over time, they were able to build trust and share about the Jesus that lived in their hearts that made all the difference. It was through a simple hospitable invitation from people who were willing to sign up for the long game that walls were broken down and Rosaria was exposed to the beautiful, raw, intimate, loving message of the gospel. She has now completely dedicated her life to inviting others into that same love and grace. Her home's open to every weary and hopeless heart, and her table is full. She quotes in her book and says, real Christian hospitality that creates real Christian community, expresses authentic Christianity, 
in deep and abiding ways to a world that thinks that we are hypocrites. Written from a person that thought Christians were hypocrites. She no longer views her home as the safe and private secluded space that's only meant for her and her family, but she just opens it up. She views it as a hospital. Come in those that are sick and broken. Here you're gonna find rest for your souls and you're gonna hear a message of truth. Places where maybe someone's gonna feel welcomed for the first time in their life. Space for relationship building. Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In Leviticus, God's giving Moses the law. And in this law, he says, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, which sojourn really just means traveling through a temporary resident. When a stranger sojourns with you, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I think it's really, really good to never forget how every single one of us in this room at one point was a stranger. Not because God's left us, not because God didn't know us, we did not know him. We're walking around in hopelessness, destined for an eternity of death, and we were strangers to the good message of Jesus Christ, every single one of us. And may we never forget where we came from so that we cannot ever forget the message we've been given and the hope that we've been given to go and share with others. Every person is a stranger at some point to God in their lives, and we are called to welcome in the stranger, to love them. Hospitality is hard and uncomfortable. It's gonna require a lot of sacrifice and dying to comforts of this world. And we look back, heart of hospitality loves people. That sounds really nice on paper, and it looks really cushy if you were to like put that on a throw pillow. But in all reality, to actually live that out is super difficult. To really genuinely love people, not just fake put a smile on, is super difficult. To hold the things of this world loosely, sounds nice. Maybe someday I can do it. To experience authentic, genuine community, I'd love if that was a reality, but I've never experienced it before. All of these things are hard and they require sacrifice and a dying of our sin that we once entertained but God makes these things possible. He creates change in the believer's heart. And he even says that his plan for the entire world to come to know him is going to be accomplished in the way that we love the people around us. People are gonna know Jesus. They're gonna know the God that we serve by how we treat our neighbor, theoretically and very literally. (laughs) neighbor around us and the neighbor just that you are coming in contact with, every person that's made in the image of Christ, which is everyone. People are gonna know Jesus by how we love others. So now we kind of get into, what does this even look like? How do we start to do this? How do we live out a life of hospitality? Well, the first thing we have to do is every single day we wake up and we get on our knees and we beg the Lord to change us from who we once were. We gotta pray. We gotta pray every single day that God changes our hearts so that we genuinely love people and we see them the way that he sees them. We gotta get on our knees and we gotta wear that ground out, praying that God will give us a heart that wants to love them where they're at, not love them to change them. We gotta ask God to make us bold. Ask him to make us courageous, to be okay with a little bit of awkward or a little bit of weird if it means that someone feels cared for and they don't have to be that 61% that feels lonely and isolated. We pray, 
Secondly, we get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Ooh, this point is probably gonna step on some toes. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I just read that, it makes me sweat a little bit. What does that even look like practically? What if it looked like next week you started walking across the street and introducing yourself to the neighbors that live on your block? What if it looked like you host a weekend brunch for your community? Donuts and coffee go a long way. It has to be nothing extravagant. You sign up, when you see a need, you help meet a need. Food banks in town, the homeless shelter, meal train at church, people are always needing food. Aid for refugees. I mean, my gosh, we have been gifted. The Lord has quite literally wrapped this gift and gifted it to us on our back door with the opportunities that we have with some of the Afghan refugees that have come in in the last couple of months to Oklahoma, to Oklahoma City from Afghanistan, which is just crazy. I mean, I've gotten to see a couple of them and a lot of them don't know the language. A lot of them don't know even where the next Walmart is or where to go grocery shopping. I mean, it's just, think about being uprooted completely from everything that you've ever known and then being told you're gonna be moving to a different country to a place where you don't know anyone, you don't even know the language, you don't know how to interact with people. And we have such a powerful opportunity, hear me say this, as a church, to step in to love these people. Because someone's probably gonna step in to love these people. And if it's not the church, it's gonna be a love that's physical and a love that meets emotional needs, but will never, ever meet a longing inside of people for something bigger than themselves that they're not gonna know about unless we share it we have an opportunity to step up and to love the people that are around us. And not only opportunity, but a command from the Lord to go and to meet people and care for them. We gotta stop planning all these things that we're gonna be doing. And then at some point just say, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna take a step outside and walk and go say hello to someone or go meet someone. No more, I'm an introvert, excuses. Which, even me saying that, maybe you wouldn't know this, maybe you would, I very much identify as an introvert. I would say I'm an introverted personality. I come home a lot of days, and Lewis can attest to this. I'm like, I'm exhausted. Some of y'all people make me exhausted. And I know I make you guys exhausted. So I'm like, there's just a lot of exhaustion going on, but God's gonna keep showing up, and God's gonna keep providing. And God's gonna keep giving you the strength that you need. And we cannot let that be something that identifies us. Gosh, by the end of my life, I pray I am more known by being a lover of people and a pursuer of people rather than being a six on the Enneagram or an introvert on my personality test results. We're not identified by that. You are identified by being a child of God and therefore called to welcome people and be hospitable. Are you willing to step just a bit outside of that comfort zone to see God answer big prayers and then to use you in that answering of a big prayer in powerful ways? Are we willing? Thirdly, we get to practice hospitality with others. You are never meant to live a life of obedience alone, ever. Grab the people around you, grab your community, go and do this with each other. Some of those things I just mentioned, I mean, volunteering at a food bank or a homeless shelter or hosting a brunch. Don't put the weight on your shoulders solely. Go do that with other people. That's why we have a whole room of people, whole people of young adults. I mean, if we all band together and started to really, really love Oklahoma City or the surrounding area, how would our city completely change? Because they actually see the name of Jesus living now, not just see people going to church on a Sunday morning. We get to see the love of Christ infiltrate our communities and we get to do this together. It's a lifestyle. It's not just these isolated little events that happen over periods of time. We pray and we ask God every day, degree by degree, change my heart to give me more of a heart of hospitality that loves you, God, and serves you. And fourthly and finally, extend grace. 
I know we've been talking about a lot of just the practical steps and maybe for some of you it feels really daunting or maybe for some of you it doesn't. But regardless, extend grace to yourself and to others. These small steps of hospitality are gonna look foreign to an isolated world. And so extend grace whenever, A, you don't feel like you're responding the way that you'd hoped to, or B, others aren't responding in that way either, of how you'd expected or hoped. It's gonna be hard, and there might need to be times where boundaries are set. But don't become discouraged, because ultimately you work for the Lord, and you do not work for man. You work for God's glory and God's glory alone, and if by the end of your lifetime, you stand for the Lord, and he's the only one that says to you, I'm pleased with you, you really got it. Like I walked with you intimately, my spirit was in you and you listened and obeyed and were with me. That is enough. That is the highest praise. And that's all that we need. We work for the glory of the Lord and not for man. So tonight I wanna leave you with a couple of verses that are found in Romans 12. And we'll actually come back. We're gonna kind of do the same thing we've done the last few weeks where we'll leave this on the screen and then we'll come back and all read it together. But I'm gonna read it over us tonight before I go off. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 12, It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think we can all agree our world needs a little more good to outweigh the evil sometimes through a heart of hospitality and just loving those around us. I truly believe that we can overcome the enemy, the enemy that God's already said, you're defeated, you're done. We can overcome him and we can take back what he seeks to destroy. So the question really now that we can ask ourselves, it's as simple as this. Are we actually gonna do what Jesus tells us to do? Now, the answer is simple. I I understand the process of how that works itself out is not necessarily simple. But I think it comes down to that. Is my heart ready to say yes to Jesus? Is my heart ready to say yes to the things that Jesus loves? If so, go for it. Get with your people, pray, seek the Lord. He will provide and he's ready to meet you in that. Are we really going to step out and to love the least of these? I pray it's a yes, because I think God can do really big things. I know he can, I know we've seen it before and we see it every day and we can see it again, there's hearts still to be changed. There's people that do not know him now that will come to know him and will have their lives forever changed. There's people that are feeling lonely and isolated even tonight that don't have to feel that way as we begin to just engage with the people around us and start to see them as being made in the image of God, worthy of love. So let me pray us out. You'll have a couple of moments of just silence, reading, praying, and then I'll come back up and we'll pray with this together or read this out loud together. God, I thank you so much that you have given us a spirit that does not leave us as orphans on this world. That for you to go back, Jesus, with the Father and to send the Holy Spirit, you said was better than if you were to stay. What does that mean, God? Work in us to help us understand what that really means, the power that lives in us to love people. Break our hearts for the things that break yours. Help us to really genuinely see people the way you see them, God. We love you and we trust you're big enough to do it. God's in revival in Oklahoma City, revival in this room. We love you, amen.